Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, president of Seamless Docs Federal, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Uh, Danny, we're back for, uh, we're very excited. This is episode 13. Lucky 13. Yeah, we're into the second dozen. This is important. And uh, we have perhaps um, one of my, uh, like, oldest uh, comrade in arms. Oldest? Well, longest (laughs) serving comrade in arms. There you go. I think, yeah, I I get sensitive about that, too. I know. Someone who um, I work very closely with when I, of course, started at OMB. Um, keeping back to our theme, uh, we took a little hiatus from the OMB connection with Governor, Governor O'Malley. O'Malley. <laughs> Governor O'Malley did not work at OMB. No, did yeah. not work at OMB. Uh, but uh, Chris Bertram did. And did. actually, um, Chris would know this fact, and probably very few other people. I took Chris's job at OMB when he left to go from OMB to the Hill right. to work at the House DNI. Transportation and infrastructure. Transportation committee. infrastructure. Right, that's the other thing I do. I do With acronyms. Uh, acronyms, he does, and he I correct does the acronym. Well, it's, uh, or he guesses at what he means. Right. <laughs> I like. I like to show off my knowledge of inside the Beltway acronyms. Right, it's one of my talents. I'm just demonstrating my so deep inside the Beltway that I don't even. I don't even. You don't even I just yeah. use the acronym. I don't even know what they mean. I just use them. Um, and uh, uh, the after that, he, you went from there to. Um, See, to be the CFO of the, at, at the Federal Aviation Administration. At the Federal Aviation Administration. Then back up to the Hill? Back to yeah, Senate Commerce. Senate Commerce. Work on transportation. Then back to the Transportation Department. We, we're seeing him pick his way right. across. Can't keep up the job. Hill, yeah. then up to the next rung in the DOT organization. So then he became the CFO of, the, uh, of USDOT. And then back up to the Hill, um, uh, staff director right. of the Transportation Committee. And then uh, he is now, he's now out of uh, public service, so he can say whatever he wants. No talking points. Right. Look at that. He's, he's completely unstaffed. No binders. Um, of no bi- giant papers. binders. Right. Uh, and running um, uh, in partnership with, uh, with another person, B&S Strategies, that does transportation consulting work. So Chris uh, really knows the infrastructure issue inside and out and we are coming to we're, we're we're recording this right at the tail end of national infrastructure week so i figured I, having chris here would be a, i didn't know it was national infrastructure week well that it's it's a small group of people celebrate it it's uh, one of the <laughs> the fewer one of the lesser known holidays, holidays. Right. Um, some of the traditions are 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 bizarre i participated in one it generally involves 50 people getting into a dark, warm, windowless room and talking about budget scoring. Right. Oh, oh That's okay. pretty much. I, did you go to one of those yes, celebrations? Right, right, too? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. With a PowerPoint. Yeah, with, well, yes, with a PowerPoint. A big PowerPoint with words. No yes. pictures, words. Yes, but, but all joking aside, infrastructure, whether it was infrastructure week or not, is a pretty interesting topic because it's one of the few areas where when, when it comes up, it's like, well, this is a bipartisan issue. Both Democrats and Republicans want to see infrastructure done. And so thought it would be interesting to talk to Chris about what does that actually mean? Uh, what is the federal government's role in, in what is infrastructure right. and, and what is the federal, federal government's role in it? Um, and, uh, and think about what that might look like as we go forward in the current administration. So uh, we, we talked about this right beforehand as a thought experiment. We tried to imagine a world in which uh, President Werfel was just elected in as a third-party, nonpartisan candidate with a promise of, uh, of uh, technocracy and great outcomes. Uh, and one of the things he really wanted to concentrate on was infrastructure. So he called you up, uh, called up BNS Strategies, and asked, "Okay, how do I, you know, how do I put together an infrastructure plan? What, what do you?" What do you tell President Werfel first uh, about you know what his responsibilities are in the subject area? Well, I think the the most important thing to remember is the federal government itself actually owns very little in terms of infrastructure. Even though we have something like the interstate highway system, which you know looks like it's a national, which is a national system um, that all has the same sort of inter- interstate seal on it, 
those are actually, even though they were financed by the federal government, are all owned and operated by the states. So your ability to actually carry out improvements in infrastructure, and we can talk a little bit about how you want to actually define what infrastructure is, is going to require partnerships with states, local governments, cities, you know, port authorities, special authorities that are set up for infrastructure. So it's not something the federal government, except in a very few cases like the BW Parkway, which is actually a federal road, have very little opportunities in terms of actually doing it yourself. So you need partners to do it. And the main way that the federal government has gotten involved in infrastructure with those partners is usually through financing, right? So there are either grants or loans um, that go through various federal agencies to actually help both construct and improve and maintain infrastructure. Do we finance all of it? So if there's a, a big airport project right. or a big tunnel that's going to be dug right. for, a, uh, for a rail system, are we paying for all of it or are the, are the states and locals raising some of the money? It depends on the type of infrastructure you're talking about, but it's very rarely all federal money. I mean, there usually is a requirement for a state or local match. Um, in some cases, a lot of, you know, a state can carry out infrastructure totally on its own and not have to be part of a federal program. Um, but generally, it would require some sort of federal match. Most An airport, um, just because airports generally, especially a new big airport or an expansion, because they have revenue streams of their own, they generally do a lot of that on their own through financing, through bonding, and so forth. But there might be a, you know, some involvement by the Federal Aviation Administration sort of working on uh, with some of their airport improvement grants. So it really depends. And that's the one, that's the other sort of really interesting thing about how the, you know, United States is set up is that depending on the type of infrastructure, the programs are going to be different. The agencies that might be involved are different just because of historically they've sort of evolved differently over time. I mean, like, so, you know, locks and dams, the inland waterway system, the Mississippi. That's really interesting because that was one of the first big sort of forays by the federal government into infrastructure. And that the idea behind that was we wanted to open up the West. Um, and so who did they turn to do that? They turned up to the U.S. Army. And so the Army Corps of Engineers was the one that sort of started creating inland waterways in the 1800s. Um, because they were like the most robust part of the federal government at that time that could actually carry things out. So the Army Corps of Engineers, um, to this day, still actually finances those, constructs that sort of infrastructure. Um, and on the other hand, you have things like roads where it, you, the states actually carry out the program with a, with a grant. So it really depends on what you're looking at, um, what kind of project you're trying to, to build about how you would do that. And a lot of it is just historical, how things have evolved. And it's very, you know, on railroads, generally railroad construction for freight railroads, there's almost no federal involvement in that. That's all private. The private railroads actually raise their capital and, and undertake those. Projects. What about like sub? Like I know, for example, yeah. there's uh, some attention in New York right now. I think there's a plan to do a pretty a pretty expensive big tunnel. The tunnels, the gateway project, yeah. Yeah, between uh, New Penn Station and or maybe Grand Central Station in New Jersey. Is that is that private or that that sounds more like a state and so local? Aren't you getting so, into a kind of a another layer here? This is this layer of this is another ritual of infrastructure yeah, week. Which is people getting together in equally windowless rooms to talk about P3s or public-private right. partnerships. So let me talk about that one. That one actually sort of contradicts my earlier statement that the federal government doesn't actually own that much infrastructure. The, the Northeast Corridor, which is the rail corridor which comes right. from Washington, D.C. to Boston, those, those were originally all constructed by the private railroads. When they went through their bankruptcies and sort of financial problems in the, in the 70s, the Northeast Corridor was actually taken over by the federal government, um, which is now where Amtrak operates. Large chunks, but they're weird little... There's weird exceptions yeah. where, like, the state of Connecticut will own a section. Right. Um, and those tunnels, there's there's two old tunnels underneath the Hudson going from New Jersey into Penn Station mm -hmm. that are literally 100 years old that were built by the Pennsylvania Railroad or whoever built them. Um, they were flooded during her... Uh, and Sandy. Sandy. Yep. And so you basically, they were you know, inundated with salt water for a couple, at least a couple of days, maybe a week. 
and that caused extreme it has caused extreme problems with sort of the concrete and the and everything that's down there so they're eventually going to have to take those tunnels out of service to refurbish them so they, they have this now plan called the gateway project which would be to build parallel runways uh, not runways tunnels um that's under a the Hudson, that's a <laughs> parallel one the different thing. so that is actually the way it's been structured is sort of as a combined uh, something called the Gateway Corporation, where it's the state of New Jersey, um, the state of New York, Amtrak, and the federal government all are participating in that. And they're at some point going to have to figure out the financing of it. Isn't it? Isn't that kind of then like the Port Authority, where you have New York, New Jersey, right? Also uh, cooperating with the federal government to bring these grants and loan and credit enhancement facilities. Yeah, but I think, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what the what the financing plan will end up being for some. I mean, it's, it's you know, tens of billions of dollars eventually. Does but, the U.S. government have a role in that? Because I'm thinking of, yeah. like, you know, you hear about the big dig, I think, was, was in Massachusetts, Mass In Boston, right? right. And, you know, the, the, the kind of the implication that if these large infrastructure projects, you know, the bridge to nowhere type connotation, um, what is the federal role when a project goes over budget or it's not doing what it intends? Is, is there one or is that or is all the accountability at the local level for that? It will, once again, it's going to depend on the program that was originally part of the financing of it. Um, generally, if you get, you know, a state gets a grant for a particular project, um, the assumption is that that grant will cover the cost of it. And if there's a cost overrun that the, whoever the grantee is will pick up the difference. I don't know. If, I don't think there's a lot of federal programs where if you have an overrun, you would automatically get more federal money. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I, and this is, this is maybe even deeper because poor President Werfel still haven't yeah. some figured still out confused, what yeah. he's going to do. But in this, you know, having run a state transportation agency, you have a, a budget of state resources and you have a budget of grants from the federal government you're eligible to receive. Those grants all generally have some matching requirements, yep. uh, you know, up to, you know, it's a minimum match. So if you want to overmatch, um, you can match 50-50 to extend the federal money. In some cases, if it's a certain kind of bridge or, as, as Chris was saying, a certain kind of program, it'll be 100% federal eligible. But the overruns, if you have an overrun, you can go back and ask for some of your grant money for it, but you have to get that all right. approved by division offices. Right. I think the other big distinction is that, that there's generally what would be called sort of formula money and then discretionary money. Mm -hmm. Most of the federal transportation grant money that goes out goes out by a formula. So if, like for example, transit, there would be a certain amount of formula money that goes out, depending on how many riders you have and how, however many miles of track you have, you get that every year. It's sort of like an entitlement. And part of the reason for doing that and part of the reason that Congress does these four or five year long transportation bills is if you're a grantee, you want to have some sort of predictability of how much money you're going to get in the future so that you can plan. Most of the money, like I said, goes out by formula, and that's the case for transit um, and for highways. There are some programs which are discretionary, on the behalf of the federal agencies where, you know, someone have, you have to apply and you will have competition for other people that want that money. Um, that is probably maybe 5% um, of, of the money. And so the, 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 the policy issues in deal with and what you'd want to do in terms of if you want to have an infrastructure initiative, one of the decisions you're going to make is how much money do I simply want to pour into the existing programs and give more money to every state and every big city? Or do I want to like, do big, complicated projects that states aren't going to be able to do and have a discretionary program. That'll be one of the tensions. And, and one of the big changes in this discretionary side of the program area was the elimination of earmarks. Right. And transportation bills used to be awash in earmarks. They'd just be pages and pages of earmarks, which were kind of discretionary in the sense that Congress had the Congress discretion. Congress made the discretion. <laughs> yeah. Right. Those used to be called So you, the bridge to nowhere you're talking about the one up in Alaska was actually an earmark project that was part of a whole discussion that, that was really kind of one of the key elements of the discussion that led to the elimination of earmarks, which would be a fun conversation for another show <laughs> because there's some people who believe that that really took a lot of lubrication out of the appropriations process. 
Let me ask this question. So uh, let's, I'll go back to the analogy of, or the story of me being president because that's, that's kind oh, of you enjoyable. Like that. You like that. Uh, I can get used I thought, to it. I thought I would. I can get used to it. But um, so, you know, so I'm being briefed and I'm being told like the, the infrastructure in the U.S. is crumbling. Uh, mm. How do we know that? How do we, how do we measure that? Is that? Was that true 20 years ago? Is it more true now? I mean, you mentioned Hurricane Sandy and that was a very specific Correct. impact. But, right. you know, I, I just... I hear about bridges that, you know, a bridge might collapse somewhere, and then people kind of extrapolate that and say maybe more bridges could collapse. How do you kind of make an assessment of the status of our infrastructure? Well, there's two, two ways of sort of the, like anecdotally, right, in terms of just what is the average person's experience with transportation infrastructure. And, you know, I don't know of anyone who thinks, wow, I think things are really great, and I think one of the problems we have is we're spending too much money on Metro. Or, um, you know, uh, you know the example like Flint, Michigan, in terms of the problems they had with water. Um, you can then also get very analytical. CBO has done some studies that basically sort of try to measure in real terms what the, what the federal government and what the nation is sort of spending on infrastructure, and it's been pretty flat. And you also have two issues of, like, how you're going to take care of what you have and what are you actually going to do in terms of, like, building for... You know the future, and one of the great sort of examples we came up with, just to think of the scale of what the challenge is. When I was at the department, um, a colleague of mine, Roy Keenitz, and I took a look at this, and sort of right now, there's about 320 million people in the United States, and over the next 40, you know, 40 years, you're going to get to maybe about 400 million, and that's basically the same as adding the population of California, Texas, and Florida. And the real question is, you know, we all know how strained the system is already, both in terms of capacity and just in terms of the maintenance. How are you going to add all those people and with the current infrastructure that we have? Well, maybe if there are more people, they won't be able to move around as much. Build the states. <laughs> stay still. Um, but, you know, there are studies. You like, you know, the civil engineers take a look at the Department of Transportation does a, a needs report. Um, all of those show um, to varying degree that there's a shortfall, both in terms of what's needed to maintain the system that we already have, and there's also a shortfall in terms of what we need to be spending for future capacity. So I would imagine that there's a variety of different criteria that would go into prioritizing infrastructure. Right. So there would be how crumb, uh, what its performance is, you know, it's on its last legs or it's raising right. danger, jobs, Right? How many jobs are going to be created? Right. And, and then going back to the point around earmarks, like there's probably some local jockeying for different projects that can right. be politically influenced. So do I have those right? Um, and then how does that kind of play out um, as, as, as we think about, okay, Democrats, Republicans, people agree we should do an infrastructure program. Right. President Trump's going to put together an infrastructure program, and, and it's going to be one of his main priorities, legislative and otherwise. What does that process look like to decide where the money goes or where the, you know, where the investments go? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing you probably need to do is where's the money going to come from is probably the first sort of part of the discussion. I don't, right? I don't know if that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because a lot, a lot of the infrastructure are paid, th you know, traditionally have been paid through excise taxes or user fees. Mm -hmm. So the whole interstate system that we talked about earlier, you know, like 50,000 miles of the interstate, which was all constructed between the mid-50s and sort of the late 80s. So from, was, the, from the Interstate Highway Act up until about, what was it, 2010? Yeah. The entire, the entire highway program was run out of collection of excise. Right. So it was run out of that, you know, something that was Congress created a highway trust fund. And when you pay gas taxes and diesel taxes are put in the trust fund and that actually gets sort of that's what then gets allocated to the states, either by formula or by discretion. How about tolls? The tolls would just That's simply different. stay with whoever charge, whatever entity actually charges okay. and collects those tolls. They don't, they don't get mixed in with the federal money. So, because as a, new, as, a right. as a person who goes to, I grew up in New York, and I just can't. It's mind-boggling how expensive it is to go over the Verrazano Bridge, and I see all these it's cars a, going it's over. A big the, bridge. It's a I know, bridge. but I just it must take in so much money a day, and I just can't. What were you doing in New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder where. I, I assume that money is earmarked for 
maintenance for the bridge for investments for yeah. the bridge but it just you know it just right. seems it all goes in it's, it's a port authority bridge yeah, right it is. Yeah. yeah they all pull so that the goes money. into the port authority writ large throughout the tri-state yep. area okay um so you've got highways generally being paid for by the highway trust fund you have most of the federal tr transit program paid for through an account within the trust fund that's dedicated just to transit. On the aviation side, you have an aviation trust fund. Inland Waterway has a trust fund. Harbor guys have a trust fund. Um, the water grants have a revolving fund, which is a kind of for trust clean air. Fund. Right? You mean that at the state level? Yes. Yes, they have. The, so the question you're going to have to decide about what you want to spend money on is question is how much money are you willing to put into the highway trust fund to pay for that or for Through the aviation taxes trust. or new appropriation or something so like that. Yes. the problem as as dan sort of alluded to is that the highway trust fund has had sort of some fiscal challenges over the last 10 years um where it means it's been broke it's been broke for the it's last been bankrupt it's and politically correct way it means of saying that broke. more is coming out than is going, going in. I get that. Yeah. I, I didn't get to be president without Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people have. <laughs> so, you know, there's been some financial problems with the Highway Trust Fund. It basically has to do with the fact that when, as cars get more fuel efficient and you're paying on a per gallon basis, the, the, the revenue in the trust fund not only has been flat, but according to CB, it's actually going down, how but, much is collected. But that's also, he's, he's also being, um, well, you can tell he worked on the Hill. The other big issue is the gas tax. The actual tax Estate per gallon has been 80s, completely right, flat. flat. So, right, and the road system has expanded. It's gotten older, so the demands on it have gone up. Fuel efficiency has gone up, and even though more people are driving they're using less fuel and so the very the very source of the revenue that right. would be paid that would be brought in to pay for maintaining that system has been yeah. going down right. or at least has been flat as the demand has gone so when you so you know what congress has done recently whenever they have a big transportation bill not only have they had to figure out where the money goes but they've also had to put some sort of general fund transfer into the trust fund to keep it solvent and that requires some sort of offset um, you know, the last bill Congress did was in 2015, it expires in 2020, but that required about $70 billion of transfers to the trust fund to keep it solvent. So the first question you're going to have is, how much money do I want to, and where am I going to find that? I have a question yeah. about that. So going back to 2009, when, when the President Obama first mm -hmm. came on board and, and, and right. the, econ the economy was in recession right. and he passed the Recovery Act, Correct. which is a stimulus yep. bill. $787 billion, yep. and I believe, just from driving, well, I, I know this just from right. being a part of the bill, but I also know that for other people that are out there just driving around, you see a lot of Recovery Act branded right. projects yep. on roadways. So how did that, was that just additional grant money outside of the trust fund? That was just general fund money outside of the trust fund. Okay. But it, the, the thing that was interesting is that it used existing programs. So it wasn't like a lot of new programs, they basically took money, put it into transit, put it into highways. They already had relationships with the states. They had grant procedures so you could get the money out so fairly quickly. So in theory, one of the ways in which the, the, the infrastructure bill could be financed, the infrastructure program right. could be financed, is with new appropriations. Right. It's like they're, right. now, just deficit finance. That's in other deficit, words. and right. they, the uh, Republican administration well, currently might not want to do that. They you could find an offset. They could right. find an offset. It doesn't yeah. have to be right. deficit. That's true. That's true. So that's, a, that's another right. way. But so you could either take the offset and use it to pay for a transfer into the trust funds, or you could use an offset offset general fund. Now, Dan, you mentioned uh, private financing. Maybe mm -hmm. what we should do is take a break and then just talk a little bit. I do want to get into things like jobs, impacts, and local politics. I think that's super interesting. Mm -hmm. But let's start the next segment talking about how the private sector can get involved in financing some of these infrastructure right. projects. And, and just to add to the list of things that Chris is going to have to do when we get back, so he, he, he needs to take a break, I want to hear a little bit about how this sausage gets made on the Hill, too, because we've, we've got a professional sausage maker here. There you go. All right. Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. And Seamless Docs, the fastest, easiest way to move all your administrative data collection processes to the cloud. Seamless Docs helps make government beautiful. 
Okay, so we're back, and I think um, I think where we should pick up is kind of a summary of, of what the first half was. We've been educating President Werfel on what it means to have an infrastructure initiative. Now that he's off the campaign, actually has to do it. I just got back from New Hampshire. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, no, you 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 the, won. The I've won. Yeah, I'm confused. Victory okay. Ever. okay. Right. Well, maybe yeah. I'm running for re-election. <laughs> you started in New Hampshire. Oh yeah. Or, okay. You are ready. Iowa lesson. next week. Wow. Okay, keep going. Wow. Come on. Focus. Okay, uh, sorry. But um, <laughs> so we've convinced you, President Werfel, that there is a need. Um, we've shown you the uh, American General Contractors, Association General Contractors, the American Society of Civil Engineers reports. They say it's $15 trillion over you know, 20 years. You said, okay, trillion dollars, a nice round number. Yeah. So what we've talked about is that we've talked about one way you can pay for it, and that is to take direct federal revenues and put it through existing programs or through discretionary programs, or you could create your own special program like the Recovery Act did, right. which was you know, using the existing the apparatus, structure, yeah. right. the structure, but jammed a bunch more money in. Right. And, and then there were the Tiger Grants. Which, the high-speed rail grants. Right, yeah. so there were some new grant programs. But that's one way to do it, and that's kind of, that's the traditional, and maybe traditional plus. Now there's this other way, and that's the, the conversation that seems to be favored by the current administration, which is a, a more robust kind of participation by the private sector and really economic incentives for uh, non-governmental actors to bring resources into um, uh, investment in infrastructure. And perhaps Chris can talk to us a little bit about what some of that thinking is and how that would work. Well, the idea there would be to just get, there's two, two facets to it. One of them is, could you bring additional private sector money to make the investment? And the second part is, could you actually use the private sector to, for lack of a better term, deliver the project or actually construct the project? So rather than having your traditional State Department of Transportation where you have some engineers and they put out a project for bid, and then they take the bids, and then they oversee the project. Do you actually want to have turn that part over to a private company or a consortia? And the idea would be, you know, the, you could you want to build a new bridge, and you invite people to bid on building the bridge, but they also then fi finance it and they operate it and they'll maintain it over 10 years or 15 years or 20 year something like that and, and they'll charge you they'll either charge tolls, tolls to or, be reimbursed right. or they'll charge you something called an availability, availability. payment right. which means that it's a shadow toll it's a right. it's a, in essence a a price that the that the the government entity pays we'll pay. for access so they'll pay they'll pay a certain amount per year over the next 20 years and that stream of revenue will pay for the facility or the other way to do it which um, is to actually have, let's say you have a local excise tax, sales tax, or a gas tax that's dedicated for infrastructure that the voters have approved, and you can take that stream of payments and dedicate it over the next 20 it years sounds, and make it financing like that. It sounds like you've privatized it, but I would imagine to make it work, it's heavily regulated to make sure they're not, for example, raising the tolls to egregious levels. I don't know, I'm asking. I'm thinking right. about it in that terms would, of like a utility company which has private elements to right. it, but if the utility companies went crazy on rate hikes, the government would step in and say, you're not allowed to do that. Right. Generally, those are sort of spelled out in the contracts where you actually undertake the project sort of at the beginning. So okay. that's one, one sort of facet. The other one is, do you act, can you actually get um, private money to come in where, where it normally would have been a grant? And one of the things that's really talk, been talked about is something called asset recycling. And so let's say you have you know, an existing bridge with a toll, it has a revenue, and the local authority has built that bridge. But they basically have a capital asset that they've tied up a bunch of money in. They might have some bonds outstanding, but they have this very valuable capital asset with a revenue stream, and they can't necessarily do anything with it, they have to maintain it. And the idea would be, do you give that over to a private consortium, and once again with you know the things you're concerned about, what would the tolls be? Um, they would then pay off your debt, and you would get an extra amount of money that you you know an extra 10 million, 20 million, whatever you negotiate, 
that's an immediate cash payment that you can then use and invest in other infrastructure. Can, Go ahead. Oh, I was yeah. just going to say, can I give an example of that that you might be very familiar with here in the city and it's a slightly controversial, and that is the old post office building, which in a way is a asset recycling. Yeah. This is a building that was is owned by the federal government. It was a money loser to the um, General Services Administration okay. because the amount of rent they could collect from the tenants was $2 million less than the cost of operating the building. So GSA then entered into a program to outlease the building. They brought in private uh, parties who competed over the right to win the, the opportunity to redevelop it. The winning bidder happened to be an organization related to the current president, but that was before he was the current president. Um, they made a $250 million investment in the building and had pledged to a two and a half ish million dollar rent payment to the federal government. Uh, at the end of the lease term, the federal government gets all the improvements back, but they also get the, the rent payment that goes through and, and some upside if, if the, the property does really well. Hmm. So there you've taken a, an asset that was net costing negative, money, costing right? money. You put it into the private market where it generates both uh, investment, jobs, return, um, as well as tax revenue for the city, right. and the federal government gets an asset back at the end right. that is superior to the one they started with. That's okay, a so form what's of the, asset. So uh, what's the catch? What's the downside? Well, um, put aside all the potential downside associated with the current right. name right. Uh, on the project. Um, well, some yeah, no, not people, the post office. I mean the downside of the bridge yeah, project. Yeah, well, so this is, the, some people will say it's privatization. You've sold a government asset or you've transferred control of something that belonged to the people to something that's private. Right. I mean, that's pretty right. much the most. I mean, that, that's sort of, it's a question of sort of public acceptance of thinking of something that normally has always been thought of as a public asset and actually turning it over to the private one. Now, in that example, that's for an existing asset, right? It's something you have already and you're using it to sort of leverage federal money or, or additional sort of financing money. The one difficulty with that, and that's what people are talking about as part of an infrastructure package, the difficulty with that is when you built the original bridge, that was you know, tax-exempt municipal financing, which is at a lower interest rate. The entity that comes in, if they're going to buy out those bonds, have to issue taxable debt. So that unevenness makes this not very attractive in the United States right now. It's being used in Australia and other places. The other place you could use this is actually to build a new facility, right? You can give a public-private partnership a franchise, and this is how the Dulles Toll Road was originally built. You can basically say, for the next 30 years, you have the right to operate a road bet between point A and point B. Um, but you have to build it, and you have to finance it, and you can, you know, charge whatever tolls you want. That's a fran, you know. But you have that franchise. If it doesn't work out, the risk is all on you. But the facility is still there. If if it works out well, you you have an actual return on investment. That's a very different model than we're going to build a road and we're going to get a grant for it. You're actually going to have someone take that risk, yeah. sort of on the financing side. And I think that's where there's a lot of interest, and it's been an interest. For a while, there's project. You know, the um, the express lanes here around D.C. Those are done by a public-private partnership, um, Transurban, um, and they 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 have the risk. Um, they have to build them, and if the ridership isn't there, they have to sort of deal with those consequences. But overall, you know, people here in this area have a new transportation facility that probably would not have been built without that. So that's that the interest. I mean, I, what what other, what's the what's the tax component? There's a lot of talk of in in the current administration's plan about an infrastructure uh, program that's that has a big tax credit component to mm -hmm. it. Is that to close the gap between um, public market financing and private market financing, or? Yeah, and it would be, once again, because of this difference between taxable debt and non-taxable debt, it would sort of help with that. And the idea also would be sort of incentivize people. You would have some predictability on the tax credit side that you wouldn't necessarily have if you were purely going to rely on the revenue of that facility. Now, that's the other important right. thing is a, a model that isn't focused around the existing grant system, really kind of, you know, the, the, if it, it's this um, it's this 
public-private partnership or pre-3 model really relies heavily on there being clear line of sight to revenue. So someone has to be willing or to Or this pay. availability payment or the dedicated tax yes. revenue. Someone like has yep. to be willing right. to there pay. There has to be a revenue stream. There, Money has to be... Yeah, we used to work, we used to talk about this, Dan, when we were both in government and with federal buildings, like getting someone to build the building. We take the floors two through 10 as the federal government. They get the first floor. They open the sandwich shop. Right. They rent out to the bank. Mm -hmm. And because the building has um, federal workers coming every day, it's an attract, it's a potentially attractive location because the federal government usually brings a lot of economic activity when it, when it sets up shop somewhere. So. Why we've, we've talked about the public-private partnership. Why don't we pivot um, into some of these other considerations, um, like things like job mm -hmm. impact. So again, going back to the point of, Dan, the way you set it up when we came back from break, we have a trillion dollars right. of infrastructure. Um, That's the program writ large. Right. Yeah, and now we've got to decide who, where, when do we deploy that money into which projects, because I could say, man, I, I want that to go to to the Washington, D.C. capital region, national capital region, because that's where I live. Right. And I want to see less potholes, and I want to see a, you know, a, a wider uh, memorial bridge, whatever it happens to be. But, I wouldn't touch but, the memorial bridge. But I, bridge. Do, I do think that, that that whole set of questions is really incumbent on how you answered that first question of how are you going to pay oh, for it. Right. What program are you going to use? Right. If you're going to slug it through the regular program, you're just going to put a trillion dollars of of new cash through the existing programs, you can start having a lot of fun, quote unquote, about picking projects. If you're saying, nope, I'm actually gonna create a series of financial incentives and reduce the cost of capital and create loan guarantees that will, through you know, through the math of a spreadsheet, yield a trillion dollars worth of investment, you're not making those decisions the transurbans of the world are making the decisions of the... It's a kind of a market-based mm -hmm. system of where's the where the revenue opportunities, where's their you know, extra congestion, so a hub lane is going to generate money, that type right. of thing. That's high-occupancy you know, vehicle. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got, got me. Yeah, I got oh, yes. <laughs> I, like I mean, no, you're going to... Let's say you do have the trillion dollars. You're going to have to make a lot of decisions even before you get to, I think, what Dan was talking about. Your question is... What type of infrastructure do you want to spend it on? You know, there's, do you want to spend it on highways? Do you want to spend it on transit? Do you want to spend it on clean water? Do you want to spend it on drinking water, ports, you know, inner city rail? I mean, you're going to have to have a decision of, like, what sectors you actually want to and support. Is Congress going to – I mean, just like – like, this is coming, right? If we – if you know, I think an infrastructure yeah. program – Sure. Know, we get through health care and tax and other things. We, we, infrastructure's on the list. Right. Who's going to – is Congress going to have a big role in deciding whether it goes to light rail, rail, water, grids, airports? How does that is, – is Congress going to decide some of that? They will have to. I mean, they will – if they want to make a certain amount of money available for ports, I mean, that is an appropriation of federal money for ports. That will require an act of Congress. Now, they will – you know, the administration is going to have a proposal. Apparently, they're going to have principles, so they will have a say, too. But, you know, the trillion dollars, who gets that and how it's actually spent, that will all require congressional action. I have a question about... Yeah. But he he actually worked in the committee. So, like, I can imagine President Werfel is out there talking about his trillion-dollar infrastructure plan. He right. said planned, you know, details to be filled in soon. You've got to be, as then the staff um, committee, you know, the committee mm -hmm. staff chairman, um, mm -hmm. uh, the person running the committee, you have to already be deep in you know, running a play to figure out what your answer to their, you know, what sure. your return to their serve is going to right. be. And, you know, I don't think, I, look, like I said, the last big highway bill that passed was in 2015, in December of 2015. It spent money on highways. It had money for Amtrak. It had money for transit. It also did a whole bunch of safety stuff. Created, uh, had money for innovative financing loans. Um, that's going through 2020, so the infrastructure package you're talking about now would be on top of that. Um, but, but how did the, the chairman, you work with the chairman yeah. of the committee on that bill, Right. that person would say, I want this bill to be, I remember, um, uh, who was it, the, the chairman from a lot, Chairman Young, right. said I wanted it to be about safety. Right. And it was called Safety, safety Lou, Lou, right, Lou right, right, after right. apparently his wife. Um, but uh, but 
so is that where it, where it starts at the chairman who says, I want it to be about like some mega theory and then you work it out? Or? Yeah, I mean, the way I always approach the bills, you sort of start thematically sort of in a try to figure out what the big picture is not only the chairman but also the members of the committee what I mean what what are what are what do they feel they that their folks back home actually need I mean, what are they hearing about are they hearing about safety or are they hearing about bridges or are they hearing about you know transit systems that are falling apart um, but you sort of develop a big sort of framework for it in terms of this is how much how we're going to divide up the money this is how many years we're going to spend that money for um, because that's what's sort of unique about these highway bills and infrastructure bills is they're not annual appropriations bills. They actually provide the funding for five or six years. Once again, because the one thing that a, you know a grantee wants when you're when you're building something is you want to have some level of certainty that you're going to get four or five years worth of your money, and then you can actually predict and and do some planning to do these bigger, more complicated projects as opposed to doing really routine things. So you start big. Member, you will get input from your members. Um, you'll get technical assistance from the relevant agencies that'll sort of give you a sense of, you know, you should spend more on bridges and less or less on bridges and more on roads. Um, and then you have to sort of get down to the granular part about, okay, how much, once we've decided we're going to spend it on this type of infrastructure, how much are we going to give each, you know, what's the formula for handing out the money to the state? How much of that money goes to the state? How much of it has to, like, flow through to, to major metropolitan and urban areas? So there's a series of decisions that you sort of have to make after you've put the big framework together to actually make it the point where you can carry out, where the, the agencies that have to implement it can carry out the programs. So it, it does get spread pretty, like, across. So it's not like... They'll look at the projects regardless of geography and say these are the top 30 projects and maybe 20 of them might be in California. Right. They, like every Everyone will get a piece. Right. Right, because once again, the actual project, I mean, the federal government does not choose projects unless, except for in some very unusual cases. I mean, the states and the local governments are the ones that make but the programming decisions. And but I imagine if you've got Congress and they all represent a district, they're from Wisconsin, they're from Texas, sure. they're thinking through kind of, they're, they're, there's some motivation there to, to think about what projects they want done in their state. Right. So in some or, ways or if you're from a more rural, you know, district, you're going to be more interested in roads and roads and bridges and, you know, farm to market roads if you're in an agricultural part of the world. Um, if you're from an urban area, you're going to maybe care more about transit. And so not only do you have to worry about states, um, the money between states, but once you've allocated, how much are you going to do for more urban type of projects versus more rural projects? Is, is there a job scorecard associated with these projects? Because I would imagine that certain infrastructure projects correlate to a higher workforce impact than others. Mm -hmm. is that, does that get factored in at all? or Not I mean... Not really. I mean, there's some rule of thumb, and I, I forget what the number is. For 40,000 per, 40, per billion or something yeah. like that. That was from the Recovery Act. Yeah, and, I think that that's and that's like an old federal highway and a right. sort of estimate. And what they decided was it's precisely wrong, but it's... Directionally but correct. It's, but it's been... Conservative <laughs> enough that... <laughs> right, anyway. right, yeah. Um, and it's been used long enough that no one right, could figure right, out... Right, right. Yeah, right. so... Um, no, I think it's more... I mean... The fact that jobs do flow from these types of projects is a consideration, but I don't think it necessarily gets like we're going to spend a little bit more money on this type of program versus another one because we think we'll have a little more jobs. It's going to be a lot more about urban versus rural and different states and sort of different Themes interests. like clean energy and things right, like that. Right, Okay. And then we, we started the, the – I know we're going to be wrapping up momentarily, but just I, maybe we should have started here, but as you're talking, it's like – what is infrastructure like? What's in the infrastructure bucket and what's out, and or does that right. matter, or is it like no, no? Because as a federal building, is that like if as if there's a trillion dollar infrastructure plan? Yes, it's in. Is that yeah. in? Is yeah. is our 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 VA hospitals in? Our our Bureau of Prison prisons in? And then one for you, like is the FAA or the CFO? Sure. Is the computer system that the air traffic controllers rely on? And for a long time, we've understood that that needs upgrading. Is right. that infrastructure investment, or is that completely different? Or is it, or is it all in the eye of the beholder? I think it's the eye of the beholder, and you know, 
when the bills that I always worked on were always transportation infrastructure related, um, but we also did water infrastructure bills. They were done separately to like authorize the projects that the core could could undertake. Um, but it can be water, both in terms of treating water and safe drinking water. It could be some things like brownfields and super fun. What about cleanup. the utility grids? Like, you know, like yeah. the, the electric wires over your house. So that gets more complicated because those generally are not public infrastructure, right? Those are sort of um, projects that have been built by private utilities through sort of their utilities. Unless, unless you're talking about the Tennessee Valley Authority. Yes, and which the, is. And uh, the, the WPA. It's, it's, right. the, yeah. it's interesting because when you hear people complain like, you know, the wind blows a little hard and my power goes right. out. It's super frustrating. And right. someone will say, well, that's because they haven't really invested in the infrastructure in a long time to, to fix it. So right. it's interesting to hear you say that you could see a trillion dollar infrastructure program, yet none of that money go towards things like reshoring up the, the grid that we rely on to make sure that powers don't go I mean, out. It, in it, a, it in could. A, I'm not saying it won't. Storm. It's just like yeah. generally that has not been part of what's considered okay. sort of right. and those are you know investor owned utilities that right. um, are regulated and are able to take profit off of capital mm. investment mm. so if they haven't reinvested in the grid someone somewhere in the regulatory process is probably not doing the right job to drive that point home. that makes sense but I do I do think that the interest in infrastructure currently is is broader than just transportation I mean it does include you know like I said after the the problems in Flint might include clean water might include drinking water um, so I want I want my last question to be yes. a, a fun question yeah. so you have here's to fun. think of a fun here's my fun one <laughs> driverless cars yep. how far away are we what needs to happen and is anything in this infrastructure bill if, if we're going to have driverless cars do we need this infrastructure bill to invest in a certain component of our of our transportation system to make it happen? I, I don't think I don't think the investment is the issue at this point. The, the really right now is sort of what kind of regulatory framework can you set up so that people that want to manufacture or use driverless cars actually know what the rules are. And what gets complicated there is there are no federal you know, driving rules. Once again, those are set by each state. And so it's going to be a regulatory issue that's going to have to be dealt with at the state level unless the federal government wants to come and say there's going to be a federal standard. That's the biggest, I think, next big question that has to be answered. What are the rules going to be for using and allowing people to, to deploy driverless cars? And that's, I, a, that's I'm very much, I want to, in my lifetime, be in a world where I'm surrounded by driverless cars and I'm using a driverless car. That's a, I'm, I just love the idea of like doing work, watching Netflix, whatever it needs to be done while... Well, or, or populations that need, you know, currently can't get around very easily for whatever reasons that are going to have mobility they, they don't have right now. That's the more and noble version. A semi a semi-driverless car I took here today. A taxi? It's called the Metro. The Metro. Oh, nice. yes. <laughs> I was watching Netflix on... Um, but, no, you, uh, <laughs> uh, the, my question is fun mm -hmm. just because uh, I get to put you on the spot, uh, okay. and it's the last question, and so you know I, I don't have to worry about you walking out halfway right. through the interview. And that is, in a way, we understand that there's this infrastructure problem, but isn't the infrastructure problem in part derivative of the fact that people just don't want to pay for infrastructure? The people don't want to pay for the increased gas tax that would support the highway trust fund at the level of demand that people are putting on it for the infrastructure they want. On the private sector, on the P3 side, the public-private mm -hmm. partnership side, you know, you heard Danny's response to the toll issue. You know, if you're not gonna pay for it for the gas tax, you're gonna need to pay for it with tolls. I mean, the whole point is, the reason why it's kind of falling apart at some level is people just don't wanna pay to maintain it. I, I definitely think that's a big part of the issue. But it also, I think it depends if, I think, People might be willing to pay for a specific project. But the not question toll. is, <laughs> right? Or, or, I think the, the acceptance on toll is, is is getting higher than people realize. Mm -hmm. The question is, are they willing to sort of just generically pay more mm -hmm. without knowing exactly what they're getting for it? And there actually have been a number of states that have successfully increased their gas taxes and other fees. Right. Lately, 
when they go to the voters and actually say, we are going to raise or we're going to impose a new sales tax or a gas tax, and these are the sort of, this is the portfolio projects you will get. Then I think people are willing to do I, it. I agree. That's yep. actually, a, I saw that effect, being a very effective budget right. strategy as well as revenue ra raising strategy. Be very <laughs> clear about what the projects are. Don't just say it's a formula. Allocation. And I think the public deserves that, right? I mean, if you're asking someone to pay more, they should have some sort of transparency of what's going to go for. And, you know, Los Angeles is basically building a huge system of subways and light rail and other rail and have gone to the voters to actually have local sort of options taxes increase to pay for that. So I think if you can show people what they're going to get for it and you do a good job and they trust you that you'll actually do what you said you were going to do, I think you they would support that. For what it's worth, um, ever since I got Easy Pass, I'm much less angry about the Verrazano Bridge fee because <laughs> I just don't feel it. Going into my wallet, I'm pulling out a $20 bill and getting like three bucks back right. as I cross the bridge is painful. Right. I just but just having it register the, on the thing, I don't I feel don't it emotionally. I don't people who don't have it. The easy pass. Yeah, I mean, I... Now, I easy just, pass, all you do, you get an email once a month saying we've replenished your account. Yeah, you know, it's very painless, <laughs> even though it's the same exact impact of me pulling right. the 20 out of right. my I actually, when I first got it, I liked going through the toll booth because I get to go flying by and wave at all those other people. people. I, yeah, I, I would have oh, paid yeah. extra. I was an early easy pass adopter for sure all right chris thank you this was great i mean i think i think anyone who's like curious about what this all means in terms of the infrastructure bill that's coming and, and how to be thinking about it i think this was a the perfect discussion well so. and i admire the fact that chris was able to uh, maintain a focus on a career that allowed him to go out and wear hard hats and walk around giant cranes and big construction projects and look like a you know a grown-up serious adult at the same time <laughs> Thanks All for right. having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about.